This, this really is sort of should be our new motto. And it has a picture of a woman on the front of it, not a real flattering picture. And she said, when we were young, we wished we could be older. And you open up the car and it says, well, we got our wish. <laughs> I sort of feel that way. Remember when you wanted to be older? Yeah, I don't even remember it. That shows you that I did get that wish because I don't remember when I wished it. Okay. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 8. We're going to read two stories today. We're going to pray first, and then we're going to read these stories that I know will be a blessing to you. You know, we're studying these everyday heroes, Bible character studies. So when I saw, but I, I, when I got the names of the two characters that we had, well, one is named, the other one is not named, I said, what in the world am I going to do with these two? I, I, I really struggled all week uh, until I think about Thursday, till I go, Oh, that's, that's what we need to think about today. I was going to you know, we talk about the, this, this, the blind man in, in Mark chapter 8, and then we talk about blind Bartimaeus in chapter 10. And I said, well, what that, why are we doing these two guys? These two guys, I mean, it's good stories. I love the stories, especially the blind Bartimaeus. I love the story. But why are we doing and what, what's the link? I couldn't figure out one, so I really prepared everything just to talk about Blind Bartimaeus because he's sort of my favorite story. The other guy was good, but I liked the other story better. You know, and then I said, well, there's got to be a reason. There's, I need to study, I need to practice what I preach. I need to do the, I need to study what's around here. What's the context? What's going on? And that helped, that helped me to, to understand this a little bit better. There's no recording of sight being restored in the Old Testament. Do you know that? Does not happen. And it seems to be the purview of the coming Messiah only to heal the blind. Uh, if you look at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, and there's a couple other chapters too that show that, that the healing of the blind giving sight to the blind was part of the ministry of the coming Messiah and, and no one else. So if you think about the purpose of the recording of the miracles, the miracles are, are, are recorded, for, and obviously the miracles primarily for the blind man, giving him his sight, that was the reason we have that story, and that's what happened, that was the main thing. But Jesus always had a purpose in the ones that are recorded because we don't have all of those Miracles recorded, right? We only have some of them. There's many more, John said, that are not written in this book. Many, many, many other things that we don't know. But the ones that are recorded, we should stop and say, why is this recorded? Why is this given to us? What do we learn? Because there's a greater purpose than just the person who received the miracle. There's a purpose of learning and gaining something for our own Christian life or something there that might bring us to Christ so there's, there's much uh, to learn. It's, it's always to reveal something. If you look at the miracles, every miracle we have recorded, is, 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 there's dual purposes there, but it's always to reveal something for us. And this is no exception. In this context that we have of these two miracles, uh, and, and these are the final miracles of the book of Mark, 
the last miracle of blind Bartimaeus is the last one's recorded. But starting in chapter 8 of, of the book of Mark, and I hope you have your Bibles open and we'll keep them open today because we're going to be looking around right around this context. And starting in chapter 8, Jesus' public ministry in the book of Mark is recorded is, is really over. And now he begins his private ministry. He begins his private ministry of teaching his disciples. He's been doing miracles, doing all these great things in public and big forums. Thousands and thousands and thousands have come around him. And now he's moving to his private teaching that takes him on to the road to Jerusalem and on to the cross. So that's what's happening beginning in chapter 8. And it's, it's important to know that because that's the context. Now look at Mark chapter 8, verse 22. This is the first story. It says that they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he spit on a man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, it's a great case of healing, but it's an interesting process. He's in Bethsaida. Bethsaida, and I didn't put a map up today, and I probably should have, but I've shown you this map many times. If you think of the Sea of Galilee, the very north northern tip of the Sea of, ba uh, of Galilee. And uh, Sally and I have stood there before, and some of you next year will be standing there and able to experience this. But it's very, Jesus performed many, many miracles there. Many signs and wonders were performed in Bethsaida. As a matter of fact, he pronounces a curse on Bethsaida because they saw so many miracles. If you remember our lesson from last Sunday, we were in Tyre and Sidon, and he said, Boy, if Tyre and Sidon had seen everything that you saw in Bethsaida, they would have repented a long time ago. So they saw a lot of things. Three apostles came from Bethsaida. This was sort of the center of where Jesus' public ministry was. He sort of went from here and around to uh, the other side of the lake and back and forth and traveled up to, up to uh, uh, Syria and then down, back down through, I mean, uh, Phoenicia, Syria, and back down through Decapolis and so on. Now he's back here at Bethsaida. And so... It's an interesting place. It's also where Jesus decided we're not going to go and do these public things anymore in my ministry. I'm going to spend some time teaching the disciples. He said that people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So it's, I think it's interesting. It's the difference between this story and the next story. Jesus actually uh, used, and, and it's, a, it's a teaching for us, not going to be the primary thing we're going to talk about today, but... Uh, they, they heard Jesus was coming, so they people, they gathered up this blind man, have friends like that, and brought him to Jesus. So, just an interesting part of this text. I, I try to visualize the scene in verse 23. He said that he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So, he's in the village. You're, you're the blind man. Joe Tom's the blind man looks like a blind man to me. No, uh, he's the blind man. And these people bring him to him, and Jesus comes to him, and they, they beg Jesus to touch him. 
And what did Jesus do? This is one of the most beautiful pictures of grace in Scripture. It says that he, he took him by the hand and he, and he leads him, graciously leads him away from the, the crowd of people outside the village. Nancy, if you didn't hear, Mike wanted to know if I was going to spit in his eye, but uh, <laughs> there's only so far we take this realism, you know. You're not blind and I'm not Jesus, so let's not do that. <laughs> so he, he, what a picture of just taking him outside the village, taking him away, taking his hand, and man, can you imagine what's going through his mind right then? That Jesus takes him graciously. They just wanted Jesus to touch him, which is interesting. Why is that such grace that he touched him? What's interesting that, about the fact that Jesus touched him? Anybody have any idea? Think about it. He's a blind, he's a beggar. Huh? Jesus is a religious leader, right? He's looked upon, he's called the rabbi or the rabboni, we'll see later. And yet he goes, he's, this blind beggar is considered what? Unclean. And for him to touch him and take him, he's, what grace? He's showing, he's, he's showing the, nothing's unclean. Matter of fact, he just talked about this, about it's not what on the outside, it's what's on the inside, right? Now, he, he touches him, he does it in, in an interesting fashion, and he heals him, and he sends him home, not to the village, back to the village. Why? Because he's not, he, I don't want you to mess with Beth, Bethsaida any longer. Sometimes I call it, want to call it Bethesda, but it's not Bethesda. It's, Bethsaida, Beth, it's Bethsaida. If I had a lisp, it'd really be bad, wouldn't it? Bethsaida. So he says, I don't want you to go back into the village. I want you to go home. I want you to go back to the village. We're not looking for, I'm not looking for the village. You've seen all my works. I'm not looking for them to do anything else. But you think about this miracle. Now, this is where, put your thinking hats on. You look at this miracle, the way it took place. What is unusual about this miracle? What's that? Yeah, well, yeah, I took two steps, took a couple of tries. Well, I guess Jesus didn't quite have it the first time, and so he sort of pumped up and got it, you know, was able to do it the second time. I don't think any of us believe that. But it happened in stages. Isn't that interesting? It happened in stages. And, and he goes on, he talks about it. He said, well, he said, what do you see? He said, I see, like, I see men like trees walking around. He couldn't see clearly, it says in, um, in verse 25. Couldn't see clearly. So what was the deal? He couldn't focus. First time he said, he said, I see, I've got sight, but I, I, I haven't dialed it in yet. I don't have focus. So what does that, what in the world does that mean? Man, I thought a lot about that this week. What's the significance of that? The fact that it was a two-step healing process. What do you think? Any ideas? He wanted to see what his reaction was, possibly. Yeah. But it's sort of the, uh, the way he talked to the Canaanite woman last week when we, when we talked about that. He talked to her, 
And he said, no, nah, you know, I ignored her. But she kept listening and her great faith. But, uh, okay, that could be it. When our eyes are open, do we go through? Oh, oh. that's an interesting concept. Is there two stages to opening our blindness? I'm glad you asked that question because I think that might be what it's all about. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's go back and think of what happened. You had, you had in chapter 8, you had the feeding of the 4,000, right? He feeds the 4,000 in chapter 8. That's the first thing that happens. Then Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. About, they come to him and say, show us a sign, show us a sign. And Jesus answers them uh, in a particular fashion, and the disciples get with them, and Jesus starts to talk to them. And they're all upset because they didn't have any bread. Now, they just came from <laughs> feeding the 4,000, and they get upset because they didn't. He said, well, we didn't bring a loaf with us. How stupid was that? We didn't bring any bread with us. And Jesus said, this is what's important. Look at verse 17 and, and verse 15. He said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he said, look at verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread do you still not what? See? Are you looking at it with me now? Do you not see or understand? Keep looking. Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to what? See? And ears but fail to hear? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Who's Jesus talking to? Disciples. All right. All right. Stay with me. He's talking to the disciples. And he said, and he said, you have ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember when I broke the five, five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets? He said, don't you remember? Eh, a lot of food. And they said, well, there was 12 left. And he said, and I, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, he said, didn't I have some? He said, yeah, well, there were seven loaves left over then. He said, do you still not understand? Then we have the miracle. I think what is happening here, because we're going to see this in the next one, he goes on and says, the disciples, their spiritual understanding, their sight was increasing. Were they already disciples? Yes. I'm not talking about a process of salvation that you start when you're in, uh, in third grade, and then maybe by the time you're 80, you finally become a, a, a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Jesus was talking about. What are we talking about? Well, if you go on in this context, after this healing, in verse 27, Jesus and them go to Caesarea Philippi, and he said, oh, well, who do people, he says to his disciples, now remember, he's teaching his disciples. He just said, you, you, you see, but you don't understand. You believe that I'm the Messiah, because he asked Peter right here, who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a confession. He got it didn't he? But the focus wasn't there. He saw trees, like uh, men like trees walking. He's dialing into the fact that this is the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, but he didn't know what his purpose was. He didn't know who he really was because he goes on and Jesus said for the first time now, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for sin the sin of the world, and then I'll be resurrected. And Peter decides, 
that he's going to teach Jesus the Old Testament. And he stops and he said, no, no, he rebukes him. And then uh, you got to be careful when you do that because Jesus turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Ooh. I don't think I want the Lord to say that to me, but uh, that's what he said to Peter. Peter's, the, the, the lights are still coming on to the disciples. Yes, they're followers, but the lights are still coming on. Look what it goes on. You keep going on in the passage, go over to, you know, he's still at stage one. You go to chapter nine, chapter nine is a transfiguration. Now, what a scene this is. Now, they go on top of the mountain, and disciples are with them, and, and Jesus transfigured. He, he peels back just to give them a glimpse of God's glory, right? And Moses and Elijah join them. And man, now the disciples are going to get it, right? Peter goes, I think we ought to set up the, uh, the Jesus Conference Center. And I think we ought to have, uh, we ought to have uh, Moses, a tent for Moses, and we have a tent for Elijah, and a tent for you. That didn't go over well with God the Father. Because God the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. So Peter still hadn't get it. They're still trying to figure out who is this. They're followers. They've committed their life to him, but their spiritual understanding was still open. In chapter 10, verse 13, you keep on going. This is still happening. The disciples rebuked them when they brought children to Jesus. He said, don't bring the little kids and bother him. What does Jesus say? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. They still didn't get it. And then he goes on. He tells about his death and resurrection again. Let me go back to chapter 9, verse 32. I want to look, One verse I want you to see. But they did not understand. The disciples did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They still didn't understand. All right. And then we go on in uh, chapter 10 and uh, down about verse 35, James and John say, uh, Lord, and, the, and if you read, John talks about the mother being there too. So mom's there trying to help him out. So what about my boys? What are we going to do with the boys? The boys said, Jesus said, what can I do for you? And, and we'll see this again too. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to sit on the right hand, and he'd like to sit on the left hand when we get to heaven. And they still didn't get it. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, that's not for me to give. And then he tells of his death and resurrection again. And then look at verse 45 of chapter 10. He said, for even the Son of Man did, come, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, they got the Messiah part that he was come to deliver Israel. But they didn't finally get that he came not as the king to wipe out the Romans in a political fashion. He came to save and he came to serve. And he said, that's what you need to get. So you're right. I think, I think it doesn't say this, but I think given the context of what we're reading here, I think what we're seeing is this, this miracle is suggesting the continued process of revelation, of learning about who Jesus is, why he came, what his purpose was. He came as the Messiah to seek and save those who are lost and to serve those that follow him. And then we learn from that, and then our vision begins 
We see him when we get saved, when we come to Christ as our, and he becomes our Savior, we see him as our Savior. But as we grow in Christ, we turn the knobs and we focus and focus and focus and focus. I don't know about you, but I think I, I know the Lord better today than I did 20 years ago. And I'm hoping that that continues. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And it wasn't until the transfiguration that they finally saw that was their second. Um, I think they're learning. Yeah. They got, they got more. They learned more. I don't think they learned, though, completely because what happened at, with Peter standing at the. And, and all the disciples fled, didn't they? So it says they all fled when it came time for the crucifixion, and Peter even denied Jesus. And so they're still trying to understand. He rose from the dead. He appeared to them. He taught them more than after his resurrection. Then he leaves them with the mission. And I think that's when I got it. I think then the focus became clear. I think then they were able to say, I see it now. I get it. And I think that's pretty much for us as well. We see him. We come to him. We become a follower and we keep dialing it in and focusing in and focusing in. And we begin. We, it, I think we finally see it perfectly clearly, as Scripture tells us, when one day we see him face to face. Then we get it. <laughs> and we grow, and that continues to be revealed to us. Just as we see more clearly, we see more clearly. We see our purpose. We see who he is and what we can do for him more clearly as we grow. And I think the disciples... We're a long way still, even after the transfiguration. So does that answer your question? And then, and then they got more when you, when you died. Right. And then they got more when the Holy Ghost. Right, exactly, exactly. Then they went forth in their mission. And, and they had the felt, we feel like they have the fullness. Then they, they, they knew for that day, they knew for that mission and that purpose in their life, exactly who he was and what they were supposed to do. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, what does that mean for us? The next miracle tells us. But we need to, many times, we get in a place where we're, we're lost as followers. We don't know direction. And we have to dial him in a little bit more clearly and ask for his touch. Look at chapter 10. I'm just going to read the story and we'll close. Blind Bartimaeus, verse 46. He's the only one that Jesus healed who's named in Scripture. Do you know that? There's other, the family members are named sometimes, but never the person who's healed. So what's the significance of that? I don't know. I just thought I'd tell you. I really don't. You're, you're waiting for some big mystery? I don't know. That's, that sounds good to me. But it's true. Bar, he said he was the son. They said he came to Jericho and his Jesus and his disciples. Now they're coming towards Jerusalem, right? And he said, together with a large crowd, when leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Bar means son of, Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside 
underline that in your Bible, sitting by, by the roadside because we're going to see him in a different place. And he's begging. So remember, we got, here's the situation. He's begging and blind again. For those of you who may not recognize this, they didn't have a welfare system like we have today. If you were blind, disabled, couldn't see, uh, couldn't get around, it's sort of like we go on our mission trips. And people who can't see, that's why they come to us with the, in the eyeglass ministry because they can't see. And they don't get help. So we come and we help them, right? It's why they get wheelchairs, because they don't get them from anybody else. And they come and we help them. We tell them about Jesus, but we give them a wheelchair. So they're coming. He's coming then and he's begging. We heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And oh, what happens? They still didn't figure it out yet because they're rebuking him, telling him to be quiet. But uh, he's desperate. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said two great words. Call him. Call him. Best words that guy ever heard. Call him. So they said to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? That's the key phrase, the whole, the whole story today. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi Rabboni, which was even more than just a rabbi, the teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you, immediately received his sight, and followed Jesus where? Along the road. He was by the road, now he's along the road. He's the two different places. So here's your quick outline to help you remember this. His condition was he was a blind, he was blind, he was a beggar, he was in complete darkness. He couldn't help himself, totally unable to save himself, totally. His cry in verse 47 and verse 48 was one of desperation and of faith. A guy named James Edwards says, the kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Isn't that true? It's not for the well-meaning, it's for the desperate. Well, I, you know, I go to church and I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I'm deacon this and I'm elder this and I'm... You know, bishop this, and I'm uh, deaconess this, and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's good. You're blind. You're desperate. That's what the kingdom of heaven's about. His comfort, this is so good. Can you imagine the joy, the thought that Jesus called him? He said he took time for me, just like when Jesus touched that guy. Here he said, call him. He took time for me. What did he do? He threw his cloak, his garment aside. Now, put yourself in his position. That's all he had. That's what he kept warm with. That's what he slept on. That's what he put his, he put his coat out. You've seen the beggars before that they, in, in different places, especially in other countries. They put their garment out. That's where you put the alms. He said, no, I don't need any of that. I've got where I need my comfort now, and it's going to come from him. And he rushes to him. The cure, Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? So I've asked that question all week long. I prayed it this morning as I prayed before coming in. What if Jesus stopped in front of you and said, What do you want me to do for you? 
He responded, I want to see. He had great faith, asked great request. John Newton, the writer of, of uh, Amazing Grace, said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. And his commitment, he followed him on the road. He, he left everything, went on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem, and was his disciple. So let me come back to the question. Because this is, now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is what, what do we do with all of this? Blind Bartimaeus, the man that was blind that Jesus touched. What do we do with all this? He's, he's basically saying the same thing to us. He wants us to have our, our blindness removed and learn more about him. But can you do that with me this morning? Can you just stop and say, if Jesus stood in front of you right now, and Mike said, what do you want me to do for you? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? I mean, it's a great thought. All of a sudden, your focus gets real good, real quick. If I came to Joe Tom and said, as Jesus, said, what do you want me to do for you, Joe Tom? Something comes immediately to your mind, I'm sure. It did to mine. I wrote it down. So all of us, can we just take a second and just think about it? You got a blank piece of paper there in front of you. And... You may be comfortable with this. You may not be. I can remember it so well. I don't, I'm not going to do it. I have to do this often from now on, I guess. But, you know, I could guess what some of you might be asking for. I mean, you know, <laughs> Sherry, if, he, if Jesus were to stand in front of you, I think you might want to say, uh, strengthen my heart. Great faith, great prayers bring, great petitions bring great answers. Maybe Jesus stands in front of you and says, uh, you know, what can I do for you, Cecil? And maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe, Lord, you need to fix this problem that I have. You need to help my child. You need to help my son. You need to help my granddaughter. I wish you, I, I need that. Do you have enough faith? Just say, this is what I, this is what I, this is what you could do for me. And it could be health, it could be finances, it could be your relationships. I don't know what it is. But I guarantee you, as soon as I said it, something came into your heart and mind. If Jesus actually stood in front of you today and said, Eddie, what can I do for you? Let's pray. What a, what a sobering thought, Father, to think that you care enough for us to actually stand in front of us and say, what can I do for you? After what? you've done for us in dying and saving us and then you stop and ask us just like you did this blind Bartimaeus what can I do for you that's because you love us because you have mercy and grace because we're your children just like we do for our children I know every parent in this room would be quick to say to their kids what can I do for you how much better is our Heavenly Father who would say, what can I do for you?